You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Hey, my name's Dusty. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad that you're here. Um, Man, I love the little ones around here. In fact, um, this is really exciting that, um, I don't know if you knew this, but the couple of previous years weren't just loads of fun. I mean, anywhere, but including in the church. But it's been fun to really be together a lot this year. And we actually had, just as a sign of like growth and new families, as well as families we have like quite literally growing, um, we actually had the most kids we've ever had in a Sunday service on Easter this year, which is really neat. So um, so there weren't a whole lot of things like that that you could point to the previous two years. God was at work, but um, I just think that's really cool and really glad that you're here. I also want to welcome that I know we have extended family and people that are here to celebrate um, the the child dedications today, the family dedications. And so I just want you to know that I'm really glad that you are here with us and to celebrate you being here with us today. We're gonna have um, arguably the worst Mother's Day sermon ever because we're gonna, in a little bit, we're gonna be in Luke chapter three, listening to John the Baptist kind of scream at us for a little bit. Uh, So nothing sets the tone for Mother's Day like um, a screaming old school preacher like John the Baptist. So, um, and I do wanna just make one more mention too, that it is Mother's Day today. And uh, for some of you like college dudes, like this is a really good time for you to like just put a little reminder, text mom at least right now, call would be better, um, something like that. Um, But, you know, so it's a great day to celebrate. And um, I want to acknowledge that, man, we have so many incredible, like I know the depth and quality of many of the women that are mothers here at Redeemer. And I just want to acknowledge you that you are incredible the way, I mean, nothing more selfless than watching so many of the moms at Redeemer just pour yourselves out for your children and also honoring our moms. And so there's a lot to celebrate today um, that I'm really thankful for. And I think it's also right to acknowledge that um, this Sunday annually across the board on churches tends to be one of the most dodged Sundays in church. Uh, because for a lot of us, this is really painful. Perhaps a mother that's no longer living and it's just so, knowing that it's gonna get talked about. And uh, so some of us feel that. Uh, maybe you've got an estranged relationship with an adult mom or you're, you're a mother and you don't have, you, you've got an estranged relationship with your children or um, that there's um, maybe their infertility or some miscarriages. And there, there's a lot of different things that are going on here. And I just want you to know that God sees you as well in the middle of the celebration, but also in some of the heartache that this day can bring. I want you to know that the Lord sees the full range um, here today. So I want to just take a moment to um, to ask for God to meet you where you're at on that, um, and for Him to move through um, the preaching of the Bible today. So let's uh, let's do that together. Lord, would you um, would you meet people in the joy and in the pain of this day? And I'm grateful that you can do both at the same time. In fact, just individually for every person in this room, even if they feel both of these things today. Um, thank you for the awesome moms. Um, that are here and or even have made many of us um, who we are. Um, Also for the pain and the loss and maybe even a a weird relationship with a mother or um, just the the frustration with um, infertility and the loss of miscarriages. And there's a lot. Um, So Lord, would you uh, enter into that grief and loss and um, that every person here would feel seen by you today and um, that your word today would speak clearly to us from the Bible. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, well, we are in Luke chapter three, Luke chapter three. And like I said, um, I can't think of anything better for Mother's Day uh, than, uh, than a prophet screaming to you like John, um, at you like John the Baptist will probably do. So um, if there's a big theme in Luke's gospel account, it's gonna be that, uh, that it's, salvation would be at the top of that list. It's one of the, Dr. Luke put together a credible eyewitness account of Jesus's life, wanted to put together an orderly effect, uh, account to be able to, um, firm up people's faith, even introduce people to Jesus. I think we've got two faulty modes that we tend to have when thinking about salvation. That's one of the main themes of the book. And I think we've got a couple of ways that we tend to look at it wrong. And I'm just going to broadly describe them as an I'll be fine. That's one of the perspectives that's going to be in this room, which would say, look, I don't, and there's a lot of different things. We'll break this down, but I don't know that there's a God. I'm not sure if I accept categories of sin. I'm not sure that there's a heaven, um, but whatever it is, I think I'm a good person and I think I'm going to be fine. I don't think I need, um, you know, any of this Jesus and salvation stuff. Another way that we can tend to think about it, particularly if you have a bit more of a religious upbringing is um, you can have a bit more of a, I need to pick it up. Like I need to be better. I need to be, um, I need to be um, hopefully doing more of the right things and staying away from the wrong things. And then as things kind of balance out, uh, then maybe God will start to like me more. I can kind of, you know, warm up to him or he can warm up to me over time. And then if I do enough of the good things, then and stay away enough for the bad that maybe he'll give me salvation in the end. Uh, the, those are two faulty modes. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, John the Baptist, and then he, he's going to be pointing towards Jesus's ministry. And my hope is, is that seeing John looking into Jesus, that, uh, that it's going to help correct both of these and then build something better. So uh, let's pick up in verse two, mostly of chapter three, mostly because verse one has some uh, places that are really hard to pronounce. So uh, pick up in verse two. Um, during the high, high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, uh, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written um, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So, you know, sometimes you might have, you know, from one of the preachers of Redeemer, someone may, you know, reference Drake or who knows what. I'm gonna go on the complete other end of the least relevant quote ever. And like all that I think about when I hear this is Handel's Messiah. Uh, sure, it's a few hundred years old, but it's awesome. You may have um, listened to that around Christmas time. And really what this is, this is telling us a little bit about John the Baptist's ministry. So a few things on this. One, Earlier, I mentioned that, um, that Luke's gospel account is a physician. He puts together, it's like serial or something like that, a podcast, pulling together eyewitnesses, trying to understand who Jesus was, why he died, all that. Um, that that's what Luke's done. And there's a bunch of historicity um, and credibility to Luke's, uh, to Luke's gospel account. And you can see here, like it lists all these, in verse one, it listed all these rulers. You can go back and check and see if it's true. In verse two, you can see the religious rulers. You can go back and check and see if it's true. Um, and, and even if someone were to say, well, how do we even know that John existed at all? This John the Baptist character. Well, you know, you could look and see that he's the son of Zechariah. 
Uriah. And someone would have been like, well, look, I, my, uh, my niece, she was there that day. This whole event happened. And well, actually, that's Zechariah's great-grandson right over there. All this was written within a generation of Jesus's life. So um, there's just a lot of credibility built in. I just wanted to point that out. Um, the second thing is uh, verse 4 really tells us the core of what John the Baptist came to do, and that's that he came to prepare the way. There is a quotation of Isaiah, uh, an old school, Old Testament prophet. These prophets, Isaiah came hundreds of years before Jesus was on the scene. And, um, you know, Isaiah would have been preparing the way. Uh, but really, John the Baptist's ministry, that's what he came to do, is to prepare the way for the Lord, which would be Jesus Christ. It was a ministry of preparation and to make the path straight. And you really what two things that prophets would do. And that's really how you need to think of John the Baptist. Think of him as an old school prophet. That's really what he was. And he came to do a couple of things. And it would sound just like Jeremiah. Jeremiah, just like Isaiah, just like Malachi, he would sound like all of them. Is a one is he would call out bad behavior, and if you were doing something that you shouldn't have been doing, that was clearly laid out in God's law, he would point to God's law and say, cut it out, stop doing that, or start doing this thing over here, like we're neglecting these really important parts. Your heart is cold towards God, and that's evidenced by the way that you're living, like cut it out and start obeying God, start believing God. That's what, you can look at all of them, it's a very similar message, and that's the best way to understand what John the Baptist is doing, is he's, he's standing in that tradition, preparing the way of the Lord, doing what every prophet that had come before him is doing, and that's pointing towards, uh, pointing towards God's law and where things are messed up. That's the first thing. The second thing that uh, all these prophets would do is pointing the way towards the future Messiah. Now, for Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of them, you know, Malachi, they're, they're pointing in a distant future. They didn't know when. But they're pointing towards a distant future when you know David's tent would be rebuilt and when uh, God's Messiah would um, would emerge and and they're they're pointing towards the distant future. Whereas John the Baptist is saying like he's like right there, he's right there. Prepare for not in the distant future, but prepare because it's at hand. And he felt the weight of that, and so you can you can even feel the intensity of it in what's about to happen. One commentator I read described him as a renewal agent and um, just renewing renewing. God's people, and it's time. It's time right now. The Messiah's here, and he felt the weight. So now you're going to see John's uh, message, and you can see why, arguably, perhaps the worst Mother's Day text ever, but we're going to jump into it anyhow. Uh, it says, and he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. So he calls them snakes. Um, I'm just trying to think, like, if you were to do this right now with a church, it's like you could really solve all your seating problems really quick. Uh, calls them snakes. It says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up uh, children for Abraham. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So this old school prophet like calls people out and saying, look, man, like it's messed up in here, man. Like there's some messed up stuff that's happening inside of you. And like, you need to repent. You need to return to the Lord and it needs to happen now. Like he's right there. And he, he calls them out, calls them snakes, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, he tells them about judgment that's coming in verse seven, even repeats that in verse nine. 
where he says every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is gonna be cut down and thrown into the fire. He even kicks defeaters out from underneath them when he says, um, hey, look, you, know, you say that you're sons of Abraham. In other words, you have a religious past. Ethnically, you're Jewish. Religiously, you come from people who are Jewish and you think you're gonna be fine because of that ethnic and religious identity, but you're, you're still accountable. Like you're still accountable before God and you need to, you need to repent and return to God. Now, what's interesting is, is that um, there's always different responses that people hear, including today. Some of you are immediately rolling your eyes and going, oh man, I hate, I hate this kind of sermon. Um, only the giving sermons worse or something like that, you know? And, and you're, like, you're like, man, I hate this. I, I, I reject these ideas, which we'll talk about in a second. But there's another person that hears this and hears and, and, and thinks, man, you're right. You're totally right, John. Like there's some, there's some messed up stuff in here. And I, I try to project like everything's fine, but I know what I've thought. I know how I've responded to people. I know the anger. I know the lust. I know how much uh, like I've chased after money and it's brought a lot of heartache for me. I've put a bunch of pressure on my children to be incredible and to fulfill me. And they, they haven't been able to stand up to that weight of expectation. I've done that with my spouse. I've done that you know, with sex. I've done it with almost everything. And um, I've seen the darkness inside. In fact, I've seen the darkness in my world. And the Bible has a super robust description for that, and he calls it sin. And so there's a certain kind of person that hears this message and, and thinks, man, you're right. Like, you're totally right. Like, what do, but what do I do? And that's where John goes into next. Um, so the crowd asks him, what should we do? So that's, that's some of the crowd that actually feels really moved by this call to repentance, that there needs to be a change. And, and he says, um, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also uh, came to be baptized and said, teacher, what do we do? And we've actually talked about the tax collectors uh, last week with Zacchaeus. And, um, you know, Zacchaeus, in addition to propping up the Roman government, you know, would kind of pad his own wallet. And he says, well, um, what you need to do is uh, collect no more than you're authorized to collect. That's what you do. Like, change, change what you're doing. And the soldiers came up and said, well, what about us? What do we do? Like, we, we hear what you're saying and we want to respond. And he says, don't extort money. Money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So like he's dealing on a very practical level about what you do. Like what you, what do you, I, I'm feeling really moved by this. And he more or less says like all of the old school prophets that came before him, you know, stop doing the bad stuff and start doing the right stuff and quit extorting people and, and quit padding your wallet with, uh, with tax that, that should have been either passed uh, upstream or people should have kept it for themselves. Uh, that wasn't yours to take. And so, um, you know, these previous loyalties are confronted. So here's what I think John does, even though it's super aggressive, and I realize it, like this, this right here to modern ears, I, I just can't think of anything that would be less popular than hearing, uh, hearing John the Baptist kind of like breathe fire like this, right? Uh, but one of the things that's so great about this, though, is that John the Baptist is helping us to, to push back on one of those faulty ideas of salvation that we tend to have. Um, we tend to think that that I'll be fine uh, idea that a lot of us have, um, like he, he's pushing hard against that. And I think there's a couple of different ways we get to the I'll be fine. Um, one of those ways is that we can reject categories like sin, um, salvation, things like that. That's one way we can do it is to say, look, I don't think um, that, that's an old book and I don't think that those things are, are true and binding. It was written a long time ago. I don't think they're relevant anymore. 
That's one way you can go with this. Um, and another way you can go with this, and you might even combine that with saying, I don't know that God is real, or I'm pretty confident he's not real. So that might, be, that might be one way we get there. Another way we can get there is to say, no, I actually think that God is real, and I actually think sin is real, but I think when Jesus died, he just forgave everybody, you know, except for like the really, really, really bad ones, you know, like uh, Hitler, um, um, relief pitchers that don't stro- throw strikes in key situations, stuff like that, like the really, really, really bad ones, you know. And so, uh, so there, there you have, uh, there you have, uh, you know, someone that, that hears all this and says, you know, I just think that, um, I think that it's all fine. And um, I think that, um, I think that we're going to be fine in the end. That's one way, one way you get there. Either you reject the categories or you just say, I think at the end of the day, God knows that we tried and that we're sincere. And even if we thought in different ways, he'll, he'll, uh, as long as we're sincere or even maybe not even that, um, then it'll be fine. Uh, another way we can get there is that a lot of us um, may feel like that you don't need to have any real reckoning with God because, uh, because of your heritage religiously. And this is super common out here in West Texas where um, you'll be like your granddaddy's, it seems like everybody I talk to, their granddaddy was a Baptist pastor or something like that. You know what I mean? And like everybody had a granddaddy. I guess there were a lot of pastors, um, you know, a couple of generations ago. And you're like, no, my granddaddy was a pastor and I was growing up, grew up in church. And plus I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living in America and you would totally circle Christian on a religious survey or something like that. And you, you believe those things and at least in a vague sense. And, um, you know, you, so you've got this vague sense, you believe in Jesus and the Statue of Liberty and almost all the other important stuff. And uh, you vote in a certain way and you try to be nice and you just helped an old lady. Like you, you opened up the door for her at Olive Garden. Like you do, you like all the stuff. And, and so I think a lot of us think we'll be fine because of like a, you know, a cultural and religious identity. The thing about that is that John the Baptist actually addressed that here. And he says, look, you, you think that because you're a son of Abraham, because you're ethnically Jewish and because you, are, you, know, you, are, you follow the religion of Judaism, like you, your parents brought you to synagogue or whatever, you know, like that it's gonna be fine, but that's not how it works. I mean, the question is, is what's going on internally? And are you, are you responding to the Lord? And when he says, look, I'm the boss and here's what you do and here's what you believe and and trust me for this do we do that and do we love him and do we trust him and do we obey him or do we say I'm going to do my own thing and I reject that and um, and what you do demonstrates the condition of your heart and John the Baptist is helping us see that the I'll be fine narrative um, at the end is really limited you know it really is and that that at the end of the day like he's trying to help you see like you you need like there's something inside of you that needs to change and like he, here's the thing um, John's message is insufficient, but I'll tell you this, everyone that becomes a Christian that is led to the door through this process that John's taking us through, which by the way, Jesus would do too. And so would the apostle Paul. They would take you right up to the doorstep and say, man, it's messed up in here. And as much as we don't like to think about it, you know, you know. And if you have children, you know, and everything else, like they're cute and all that, but like you see it, like nobody has to pull them aside and say, look, I need you to be really selfish about now. Um, like you didn't have... No one trained them. There's no breakout sessions at a conference for two-year-olds. I mean, they, they just figure it out how to do it. And like we, we need, something needs to change. And it takes you right to the doorstep of saying that I need something outside of myself. And that's where things go right now, um, where, uh, where Jesus, his ministry is gonna be, um, is gonna be hinted at here, um, that John the Baptist is gonna tell us what Jesus would come and do. So check it out. And, and I think you'll even see this pick it up, uh, pick it up faulty narrative is gonna be corrected by this. So here you go. Uh, Verse 15, 
Uh, as people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, that word Christ means Messiah. I'm going, maybe he's it. This is what we've, all the prophets were telling us about that. John just, John just jumps right into there and addresses it. And he says, look, I baptize you with water. He was doing a preparatory baptism, preparing the way for the coming Messiah. Uh, but he who is coming, uh, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand uh, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. Uh, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So um, what he says about Jesus is, is, look, I'm not even worthy after he's been traveling all day to untie his sandals, his little Birkenstocks or whatever, and, and uh, you know, wash his, like I'm not even worthy for that job. I'm not even worthy to be a household servant. Like he is so much greater than me. Like he's on a different plane. Like I came here saying things needed to change and let's, let's be baptized saying we want to change. But like I didn't, I mean, John's saying he didn't have any power in his message and through what he had done, to actually bring about that change. And he's saying there's somebody that's coming and that would be Jesus. And like in short order in this story, he shows up on the scene that is gonna do something totally different. He's not just gonna say we ought to be different, but he's actually going to internally bring about that change. He's gonna baptize not just with, hey, we need to be better, but internally um, with the spirit and with fire. In fact, whenever we observe um, baptism like we're gonna do today, um, that whenever someone goes into the water, they're actually representing that of like dead and buried with Jesus when he died um, and was killed on the cross. And when he came, uh, came out of the tomb, you came out of the water and were resurrected with Jesus. By faith, you're connected to what Christ has done. And so Jesus's ministry is altogether different. It's an internal change that when someone believes in the cross and resurrection, there's something supernatural that happens inside of you that changes you. In fact, that continues on your entire Christian life. It's our deep hope. Um, and I realize this is where you're like, well, thanks for this Mother's Day sermon. But here's the thing. Our deep hope for every one of these little ones that was on the stage is that this is what I pray all the time for Redeemer, is that there won't be a single little one at Redeemer that at some point in their life doesn't grasp, like that doesn't grasp internally with their heart um, that Jesus Christ has been crucified and resurrected and loves him with their whole heart. That is our deepest desire, every last one of them, all of them. And we wanna come alongside of you for that and what we teach um, in the kids' classrooms and what we preach and our awesome youth ministry and all this stuff. Like we wanna come alongside of you. Uh, but even then, we know there are limits to all the things that you do and we do. And we're praying that that's exactly what Jesus would do in their hearts. But here's the thing that's interesting is the fact that Jesus's ministry is going to internally do something supernatural also pushes back on the faulty view of salvation that says, well, we just need to pick it up. We need to be better. And um, I think there's something hardwired in most of us that is like really religious. Um, and I mean that in a negative sense. So a lot of us, um, we have, especially if you're raised in a religious setting, like you've got, um, you, you may have this sense, like you hear all the sermon and, and the part you're latching onto is John's message. And you're like, man, they're right. Like I've got to start, I mean, all these, you start immediately thinking of all this laundry list of stuff. You know, I need to be better and I need to be in church more. I need to be given better more and I need to be nicer. I need to, quit yelling at everybody 
and I need to, you know, this, and I need to be more thoughtful, and I, you know, all these things. And it's like this hamster wheel, and you're just running and running and running, and you just don't ever seem to be enough, and you don't ever feel like um, you have God's pleasure. You always think that you're disappointing him. You always think that he's just frustrated with you, and he might have to let you in heaven, but he's not excited about it. And like a lot of us feel like that, like we're just going and going and going and going, and you're exhausted. Now, here's what's interesting is this, um, you know, I've got to pick it up kind of mentality is that two things emerge from it. One is self-righteousness, um, where you tend to think you're up here and everybody's down here. If you're not a Christian, this is probably one of your least favorite things about Christians, where you've bumped into people and you're like, dude, you're acting like you're better than me, but you're just not, you know? And you, you're doing all the same stuff I am, and you act like you're better, but you're just not, not better. And they're actually right about this, that if it's not countered with something, if something of God's grace doesn't tenderize us internally, that's exactly what we do, is especially with the things that we don't struggle with, we try to put everybody on full blast. Now, I would make the case that Christians most certainly are not the only ones doing that. If you spend three minutes on Twitter or any social media of your choice, you'll see it where somebody's got a perspective and they're like, I can't believe people think that. I can't believe that people do that. I can't believe you would support that, vote that, whatever, right? Uh, but self-righteousness begins to emerge. But here's what's interesting. Right alongside with self-righteousness is self-loathing. Um, whenever you get on this, uh, this pick-it-up mentality and I'm gonna, keep, I'm gonna keep doing all the stuff and that's gonna be enough, that when you do it, um, you do get self-righteous because you're, you're putting your focus there, but then you look on people who, uh, who don't get it done, uh, you look internally at yourself and you know what's happening internally and you know what you think and you know what you do and you saw this thing and you may try to hide it, you may be the only one, you know what happened um, last week, you know what happened a year ago, you know whatever, you know that you're a jerk, you know whatever, you know the mistakes that you made. And, um, and so you know these things and you end up being like, man, as much as I act like I'm fine, um, I'm not fine, I'm not. And like, I hate myself and I bet God's sick of me. And here we go. And so here's the thing. Both of these things of I'll be fine and I gotta pick it up and go, are, uh, they're, they're, neither one are right. And John and Jesus together are showing us a third way, a third way that would say, hey, look, the answer here, instead of um, I'm, it's gonna be fine, I don't think I need to change, and I gotta do it on my own power, is a firm and deep belief in Jesus' death and resurrection that changes us internally, changes who we are, and then begins to change what we do. It's a supernatural change uh, by the grace of God. Like that's, that's what happens here. And as I reflected on this, um, just on my own life and began to reflect on my own journey over the years, I mean, man, like I actually have struggled with both of these things. Um, I've struggled with the I'll be fine. Like I've, I've shared this like two or three times in the last few weeks, but like I, I've struggled with doubt my entire Christian life um, like I, I've I even chronically so at different points going, man, is there really a God? Is there really a Bible? Is there really salvation? And all of it. I mean, I, all of those things. And so, and by God's grace, I, I still wrestle with it. It's not like it's completely in the rearview mirror and I don't ever deal with it. By God's kindness and grace, like I, I'm growing and I'm trusting more. And there've been some points and valleys and some peaks in the middle of that, um, even morally and where my life is on really trusting God with the hard areas. By God's grace, like he's, he's He's bringing me along. I would describe it as asymmetric, that um, it's just not a straight line for me. There's some areas that go backwards that I'm like, ooh, that needs to change. And then some areas that move forward and it just isn't real linear and it all moving together. But God, by God's grace, I do love him more than I did when I started as a 12-year-old. 
you know, uh, and as a college student, and like there's a growing dependence on God in me. It's true, and it's real, and I can look at that and know that he's done that. Um, I look at my wife, um, Amy. I may not mention this in the service she's in, uh, but I mean, she's I'm grown tremendously in 27 years. Like, th- this is the part I may not mention. Um, so she's the type. She's a perfectionist by nature. And, um, and so it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful attribute. I mean, you want to hire someone like this, trust me. I mean, they quality work, um, this deep desire for what's right. I mean, I swear three times a week, she'll say, well, it's the right thing to do, you know? And, and she operates that way. And uh, now the shadow of this is those perfectionistic tendencies sometimes can put a lot of pressure on herself, on others. I mean, she's the type that she'll have a to-do list and do something that isn't on the list and then write it down and, and then mark it out. That's the part I'll probably leave out. Um, so she'll, she's, that those are the things. But here's what's incredible is that um, with these perfectionist, perfect, perfectionistic tendencies that are beautiful in so many regards, but I've also seen that complemented over 27 years of marriage of God's work in her, the Holy Spirit's um, growing work through Jesus' death and resurrection and just slowly doing all these things is a graciousness and a flexibility that's emerged alongside of that. And just over a long period of time, I've seen, I've seen God's change. Um, I've seen it. I asked the staff the other day how God has done this in them. And um, I got a bunch of really incredible answers. Um, like Madison said, he was clinically depressed, suicidal, actually tried suicide at 15, deeply angry, self-medicated heavily with drugs, alcohol, relationships, all other manner of dark things. And he says, Jesus radically freed me from these things, giving me completely new desires while removing old ones, transformed my thought patterns. He gave me a real hope um, and that gives meaning to my life and allows me to experience true joy. Um, I think about uh, Des uh, talking about how God has helped him with things like not having to be people's savior, maybe even being a little bit codependent. Haley talked about how God's growing her on like a good sense of, of confidence as opposed to pride and like being on a good, a good journey with that. Um, several, Carson even redeemed desire for success and having a good motor and wanting to do quality work, but a different why of what he's going for. And we could do this all day long. Uh, the point of all this is there's a third way. And I think it's what John is pointing us to. Like he's taking us right up to the doorstep that there needs to be a change, but then Jesus brings good news and promises a spiritual renewal inside. It's my deepest hope for this church. Number one is that there would be a renewal in every one of you that follows Jesus, an internal renewal of the soul just in an ongoing way. And then secondly, that there would be some of you that may have walked into this room with tons of doubts, questions, maybe even uh, I'm not doing any of this, that there would just be um, just a, a breakdown of defenses and a new faith that would emerge. That would be a beautiful and awesome thing. And it's my prayer. So I'm gonna pray that right now. Lord, would you, um, would you work beautifully um, in doubters and strugglers like me, um, that there would be a beautiful tenderizing of the soul, um, that there would even be an awakening um, at right now of several and and um, that all of us in this room, that there, there would be submission and hope and love for you, uh, not just a desire for change, but, uh, but there would be a renewal internally um, that through your Holy Spirit, um, Jesus, that there would be, uh, there would be a change, um, that there would be an awakening. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.